All right, I, I need to kind of tell you where I want to go today, okay? I want to finish up Revelation 12. We got a singing coming up this Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's the third, third Wednesday coming up. So I really want to finish Revelation 12. And as I do that, I, I kind of would like to just have the floor for much of the class, please. I need to do that because I didn't get through but like four verses on, on Wednesday. And uh, if you let me just have the floor for much of the time, I promise you that, that towards the end, you can ask your questions, make your comments, just kind of jot your comments down. If you hear me say some things, I go through this and you can and bring it up later and I promise you we, we will consider it. I just really want to get through this chapter today. So, so just please bear with me on that. Okay, after the seventh trumpet is blown, after the seventh trumpet was blown, we find a sequence of events taking place in Revelation 12, which is where we're at. And remember in Revelation, 1, uh, Revelation 12 verse 1, we're introduced to the woman. We're introduced to this woman that the text says is clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and her head a crown of 12 stars, all that symbolic apocalyptic language. We said that that represents the faithful, the faithful of God, Israel, Old Covenant Israel, and New Covenant Israel later in the chapter. This woman has a child. She brings a child forth in great pain. That is a reference, the child is a reference to Jesus. God brought his son into the world through his people, through his old covenant people, the people of Israel. We're then introduced to the great red dragon. The dragon has seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems. With his tail, he swept away a third of the stars. He threw them down to the earth. We had a good discussion on what all that meant, but I'm just going to try to make it simple and practical and just say that from this, we need to mainly take away that Satan is a great enemy. He is a powerful enemy. He is a mighty enemy. He is intelligent and he has authority. Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air. Satan is described in a very vicious way. In fact, throughout the scriptures, Satan is always described in a powerful way. What did Peter call him? 1 Peter 5 verse 8, a roaring lion. Paul, the prince of the power of the air. Uh, so, so he's always described in that way. God really wants us to understand that we're dealing with a powerful enemy when, when it comes to Satan. And we cannot defeat him without God and without his son, Jesus Christ. The great red dragon hates the male child. He hates the child. In fact, once the child is born, he tries to destroy him. He tries to kill him and do away with him. This is a fulfillment of which Old Testament verse that we talked about last time is in Genesis. Chapter 3 and verse 15. Genesis 3 and verse 15. God told the serpent that the descendants of Eve, and that's a reference to Jesus, would have enmity with Satan and those who follow him. And we see that, we see that as soon as the child, Jesus, comes to the world. Matthew 2. Matthew 2, Herod, who is working for Satan, he doesn't even realize it, but he's trying to kill Jesus as a baby. That's Satan behind that. Matthew 4, Satan comes to Jesus before he begins his ministry when the Lord is in the wilderness and he tempts him for 40 days. 
and 40 nights. He tries to cause him to stumble and to sin against God so he can't be the perfect sacrifice on the cross. Right away, Satan tries to destroy the scheme of redemption. In fact, as Don and I were talking about a few days ago, Satan's always trying to do that, going back to old covenant Israel and trying to mess them up as God's people. He's always trying to mess up God's plan. Now, let's return to where we left off in Revelation 12. We're at verse number five, and we're going to kind of go through this. Remember, I promise you at the end here, I'm going to let you make your comments. Just, just remember them, okay? What does the child do once, once he comes into the world? Well, according to verse five, when the child comes into the world, he's to do what? What is his purpose? To rule. It's to rule. He rules. He rules all the nations. Isn't that what Jesus said? He had the authority he had before he went to heaven. He said in Matthew 28 and verse 18, all authority, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Through his redemptive work, he has been granted the authority over all nations. And he also rules the people with a rod of iron. The idea of a rod of iron there is more of the idea of a shepherd's staff. Jesus is a shepherd, and he rules his people as a shepherd. He leads his people as a shepherd. We follow him as the good shepherd. So he rules his people. He protects his people. He sacrifices for his people. And the text also says he's been caught up. He was going to be caught up to God. Did that happen? Was he caught up to God? Acts 1. He ascends to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. Revelation 5, where is Jesus when he opens the book with the seven seals? He's in heaven. He's been caught up. So he fulfilled the, prof the promises. He fulfilled the prophecies. So Jesus came to rule. What happens to the woman in verse number 6? Well, the woman who represents, remember, the, the, the faithful, the woman, she flees to the wilderness after the child comes and he does his work and he rules. She flees to a place prepared by God. She's sent to a place where she is protected by God, protected by God and provided for by God for a period of time. Now listen carefully to me. I believe that it is right here where the transition takes place. I think here, now we transition from the woman representing old covenant Israel to now New Covenant Israel. I think you're going to see that more as we move on here. I believe that after the child is caught up to God, Acts 1, right? After the child is caught up to God, the woman now represents the faithful under the New Covenant. I believe that that verse is referring to both the persecution and the protection of the faithful. The faithful will be persecuted, but God will protect them. He will provide for them. That's a reference to the church, the church at that time. Now, let's go with the last unit here, beginning with verse 7. Beginning with verse 7, a great war is described. So we want to know who's fighting this war. Who wins? What happens to the loser? What is the battle meant to symbolize in the big scheme of things? If, if you've noticed, I'm talking about things that are in our past. This is not stuff to look forward to in the future. This is stuff in our past, but it's in a future perspective from the original audience. Do you, do you get that? We're not talking about stuff that's, that's coming here. 
but it was coming as far as shortly come to pass for these people. Now, as we talk about this war, let me say a few things about this war. There's a war described in those verses. Would you agree with that? There's a war going on. I want to say they're trying to use those verses to try to explain the origin of Satan. That's a mistake. That's not what those verses are about. Those verses are not about the origin of Satan. Those verses are not about the beginning of Satan. The beginning of Satan or the origin of Satan has nothing to do with the story of Revelation. Even though we may want to know that for our curiosity's sake, that has nothing to do with what God is trying to do here. In fact, he never talks about that, the origin of Satan in the Bible. That's not the purpose of the Bible to answer every trivial question we might have. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29. What does it say, Brother Don? The secret things, what? They belong to God. There's some things God says, I'm just not going to tell you. It's not your business. You just worry about this information I give you that has to do with your salvation. That's what you worry about. Revelation is not about explaining the origin of Satan. Instead, it's about explaining the outcome to the battle. It's about explaining the outcome to the spiritual war taking place at this time between Satan and his army, who is Rome, and God and his army, the church. And so as we talk about this, I want to ask you to put your spiritual goggles on. Put your spiritual goggles on for this, okay? What happens during this great war? What happens? We want to know, first off, who's fighting the battle. Now, y'all can help me with this. Who's fighting the battle here? We're looking at, we're at verse number Verse 7 here. We're looking at verse 7. Who's fighting this battle, this spiritual battle? You got two sides. Someone said Michael is leading a side. And you know there are some who say this is ref Michael's reference to Jesus. No. No, 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 no. This is, this is Michael the archangel. He's mentioned other times in the Bible, right? This is one of God's chief angels here. Um, so, and, and as a side note here, this is part of where Shawn Michael got his middle name from, too, in addition to some other people I really like, like Michael Jordan and Michael Jackson, but that's a different story. That's a different story. But, uh, but Michael the archangel is leading a, a, a God's side. Now, Lance, I want, I want you to say what you said again. You said it's two sides, right? Would you say this is good versus evil? This is God's army versus Satan and his army. This is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual battle. I really like the story in the Old Testament of Elisha. Remember, Elisha, he was being assaulted by some enemies of God's people. and His servant was very afraid. And Elisha said a prayer that God would open his eyes and let him see what was going on that the enemies couldn't see and that the physical eye couldn't see. And what happened when the servant's eye opened? What did he see when he looked outside? Overwhelmed God's army, God's, God's warriors, spiritual warriors all over the place. That's going on still. There's a spiritual battle going on that we can't see. But God sees it. And he lets us know what's going on. And that's how I want you to see this. That's how this language is really, that's what this language is really talking about. The spiritual battle that God's people can't see on the earth. This is why God's people are getting so discouraged at this time, because they're just looking at the physical. They're looking at how physically they're getting beat down. But God's letting them know, I'm going to let you see behind the curtain. There's, there's a lot going on that you don't know about, a spiritual battle. 
And that's what's going on here, this spiritual battle. The army of God versus the army of Satan. Who wins it according to verse 8? Who wins it? Army of God. That's the point. Michael, the, the, the angel, the archangel leads the spiritual forces against Satan and his henchmen. And they lose. What happens to the loser? Verse, verse 9. He's thrown down where? He's thrown down to the earth. Now, again, this is where we struggle a little bit because we like to make everything literal. We like to make everything literal. That's not, this is not saying that, you know, Satan, God, you know, got him and kicked him in his backside. He's just on the earth walking around. That's not the point. The point is... Satan has been defeated. He's been defeated. And I believe here in the context where you follow the storyline here, this is a reference to Satan trying to destroy God's scheme of redemption. But he fails. He fails at trying to stop God's scheme of redemption. And isn't that what we find all through the ministry of Jesus? We find him trying to kill baby Jesus. We find him tempting Jesus. We find these demons all over the place, possessing people. And Jesus casting out the demons to demonstrate that he has power over Satan. So there was a lot of stuff going on when Jesus was on the earth, behind the scenes that, that is not recorded for us in the Gospels. But there was a war taking place. Satan, don't think Satan was just sitting back. And going to say, well, I'm just going to let him go ahead and, and, and die on the cross and, and, and make God his father happy. You know, Satan was busy for those three years. He was very busy. And, and we get some snapshots of it, but there was a lot he was doing to try to mess things up. We even see when Jesus told Peter, what did he tell Peter? Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. See, he was trying to get at the apostles. What did he do with Judas? He what? He entered into Judas. He influenced Judas. And, and, and Judas gave in to his influence. Satan is all over the Gospels. He's trying to mess up stuff. But we see here in Revelation that he loses. He fails. God's scheme of redemption was executed through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus gives his sinless life on a cross, and he is raised from the dead. I think that's what's going on here in verse number 10, verses 10 through 11. Remember verse 9 talked about how Satan... He lost the war that was being waged, the spiritual war, and he's thrown down to the earth. The idea there, he's just defeated. He is crippled. He's defeated. His angels are defeated. The demons are, are defeated. And then, and this is, how I think, this is why I think this is tied to the scheme of redemption and Jesus executing it. Because look at verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, notice, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser, that's Satan, of our brethren has been thrown down. He's been defeated. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him, the people of God. Why? Because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. And let me just say this, and I'll, I'll let you make a comment or two if you want to right now. Okay, let me just say this. What's going on here is Satan was trying to mess things up. He was trying to mess up God's scheme of redemption. But Jesus executed it. And he executed it perfectly. And as a result of what he did at Calvary, God's cause won. It was vindicated. 
and God's people also won. They experienced so much victory that they even were going to win in death. Even if they had to give their lives for the cause of the gospel, they were going to experience salvation because of what Jesus did, because of his salvation. Those verses are talking about all that was going on, the spiritual battle taking place up until the cross and how Satan lost. He couldn't stop it. He didn't prevail. What did the Genesis 3 verse 15 say? Jesus was ultimately going to crush him on the head. He was going to lose. So let me pause right there. I want to hear your thoughts on that. Does anybody have some thoughts on those verses? Brother John, go right ahead, sir. Yes. Those three things are responding, I think, to they're saying the same chance is all three of those things. Yeah, that's a great point. The authority of, of, of the authority of God, the authority of his Christ, the blood of the Lamb, the word of the testimony. Satan doesn't have a chance against any of those things. And that's ultimately what led God's plan to, to experiencing the victory was all these things that come from the Lord. Absolutely. Anyone else? Brother Don, go ahead, sir. Satan in the new, Satan in the old, mm -hmm. and Job is present here, and it will continue until final judgment. Yes. And you've got the, the truth in Christ and the Holy Spirit against the false accuser of Satan. And even though we have sinned, we are justified by the blood, but the accusation is still there. No, that's exactly right. And, and that's actually part of the continual part of the story here is how Satan doesn't give up. He doesn't give up. Uh, so, so that's a good point. That's a point well taken. Anyone else comments about what we got so far? Brother Jamal and Brother Gary after that. Anytime the Bible talks about, the word kingdom is an interesting term. And usually we limit it to the church, and often in the Bible, the word kingdom is talking about the church. Daniel 2.44, I mean, that, that, that's, that, that's clearly the, the Lord's church. It's never talking about an earthly kingdom. The Lord's kingdom is always a, spir it's a spiritual kingdom. Jesus even said, my kingdom is not of this world. Spiritual kingdom. But, and this is a study for another time that we can get into, the word kingdom is often more used to talk about just the rule of God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. There, Jesus is not talking about seeking first the church, although that's part of it. But ultimately, men must seek God's rule in their lives, the, the ability and the, and the humility to submit to God. And if they do that, obviously, they're going to submit to baptism and be part of his church. But it's, it's, too, it's just too simplistic to limit it just to the church often. Sometimes the word kingdom is talking about the rule of God, although here I think we're talking about the Lord's kingdom or the Lord's church, a spiritual kingdom. Uh, Brother Gary, go ahead, sir. When I read these, I can't help but think of old death, where that's changing. 1 Corinthians, I think that's 1 Corinthians 15, 57. 
yeah, but no, that, that's exactly right. And, and, and that's the point. Victory. It's all about victory through Jesus Christ. Victory over death. Victory over Satan. These Christians were experienced victory even if they had to die for the testimony, it says. Absolutely. Uh, anyone? Go ahead, Lance. Go ahead, sir. Zechariah 3. Yeah, well, verse 1, that, that's, it, if you want a picture of how this battle goes, I, I think that's a, a very good and, and you And I'm definitely not disagreeing with you. You know, I hadn't taught Zechariah in probably eight years. So Lance is one of those things where if you don't use it, you know what happens. You lose it. <laughs> so when I look at Zechariah now, I'm kind of like, it's like looking at a different language for me because it's a difficult book and I hadn't studied it in a while. So I got a lot of notes on it. Uh, so I, right now you just kind of kind of lost me there because Zechariah is one of those books where I hadn't used it in a while, so I kind of lost it a little, bit, lost it a little bit. But but I don't disagree with you. I mean Zechariah is loaded with that with that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, maybe another comment before we we move on. Anything else? Are we good so far? Very good. Very good. Okay. Verse twelve. Verse twelve. I want you to notice three things about verse twelve. Going back to Revelation twelve, and I'll just read the. Read the verse real quick. Revelation 12 and verse 12, for this reason, rejoice, O heavens, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having a great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Let's talk about that verse a little bit. I want you to notice three things in that verse. First, after Satan is defeated through the redemptive work of our Lord Jesus Christ, those in heaven are told to rejoice, celebrate, right? There is celebration behind the scenes among the, the spiritual forces, the spiritual army of God, because they see what happened. They see the impact of what Jesus has done, so they rejoice because God's scheme of redemption has been successfully executed. It reminds me of, of Luke 15 when Jesus says that every time a sinner repents, what do the angels do? They rejoice. See, that's something we don't think about too often, is how the people we can't see, the angels of God, they're rejoicing at times and they're mourning at times. We can't see it. But there's spiritual things going on all the time. And every time somebody gets baptized, every time somebody repents, sometimes we may be tempted to look down at that. Or, 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 or you know, I've, I've met Christians who really were against people obeying the gospel because they say we don't want the church to get too big. We want to stay with our little 40 people here and we don't want the church to get too big because we won't know everybody's names. That's shameful. Is that shameful? That's shameful. Because the angels in heaven are celebrating. But sometimes we act more like, we act more like the Pharisees, don't we? The Pharisees were grumbling when sinners were coming to God. And that's how we act so often. We act like the big brother in the story of the prodigal son. And God wants all people to come to him and be saved. 
And if we got to build a bigger building or whatever we got to do, we'll do it. God will bless. We let God handle that stuff. We just focus on preaching the gospel. That's what we do. So there's rejoicing over what God has done through his son. But there's also woe. Who, who, is, told the, who is told to woe in the text? Those on the earth. Why are they told to woe? The devil's, he's going to keep coming after you on the earth. He's lost this battle. He's, he couldn't stop Jesus, but he's not going to quit. He's going to keep after God's people on the earth. Now, this short time, he has a short time. <laughs> I'm going to give you two possible meanings of that, and I'll let you decide on what you think it means. It might mean both. I'm going to give you two possible meanings. One, some suggest that when the scripture says, knowing that he has only a short time, that could mean that he knows that after he, he couldn't stop the Lord's scheme of redemption being executed, his time to use Rome is short. He's got these henchmen. They're going down. He's got a short time to use them to, to try to destroy the church. I just got a short time to use these people. Could be. Some say it also could mean that he knows his ultimate fate in the end. And he has a limited time to cause God's people to stumble before he reaches his ultimate fate. He knows that he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. He knows he can't defeat God. And so I have a limited amount of time to pick off as many of his children as I can. So some say it could be a reference to his limited amount of time to use Rome. Some say it could be a reference to the limited amount of time he had to cause God's people to stumble before he met his ultimate fate. Could be both. Could be both. What do y'all think? Y'all got any thoughts on that? Y'all looking at me like y'all, I don't agree with nothing you just said. Either way. So <laughs> what do y'all think? I mean, does, with that, does those, do those two thoughts kind of fall in line with the harmony of the rest of the scripture? I don't think there's anything contrary to anything else we find in the Bible. Yes, sir, Brother Doug. Another way to look at a short time, very big view, is that Satan's not eternal. Not like God, right. not like Jesus. He is finite, and that his time is also time. Yep, and that goes back to that second thought, actually, where I say he knows his ultimate fate, which is told at the end of Revelation, which is what? He's thrown into the lake of fire where he will be tormented day and night forever. Uh, Brother Mitch, yes, sir. No, what you just said, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually meant to make a note of that in my notes and it slipped my mind. I think here is tied to Revelation 20 where it talks about how he's going to be released for a little while. I think that's the same thing. I think, I think here you're getting the summary of it all, but 20 gives you more details of it. So I'm glad you brought that up because remember this here for Revelation 20 later. I think Revelation 20 will give even a better explanation of this here. I think it's the same thing, Mitch. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Brother Dunn, go right ahead, sir, and then after that I'll move on. With a short time and soon, 
It does. It's, it's going to happen in the twinkle of an eye. Yes. That's such a great point, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes you're right. This idea of shortly coming to pass can mean, hey, just in a few years. But sometimes you're right. It could be from the perspective of God. And it could be also the idea of sudden coming fast, like when Jesus comes suddenly from heaven. You got to stay in the context to really figure that out. So now that, that's, a, that's a good point. All right, let's look at the last few verses here. Let's look at the last few verses, verses 13 through 17. Let me just reread those. I know it's been a couple of days. Um, Revelation 12, 13. And the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place well, she was nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he may cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river, which the dragon poured out of its out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Okay, let me just tell you my study, my thinking on what's going on in these, in these verses. Verse 13. I think verse 13 is talking about how during this short time of Satan, he has just a short time. He couldn't stop, he couldn't stop the Lord's work at Calvary. He's persecuting God's people. He's persecuting the woman. The woman here now, again, is clearly, contextually, got to be a reference to the church. This is the faithful of God under the new covenant. Israel is no more as far as physical Israel after the work of Jesus on the cross. But, 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 but now Satan wants to persecute God's people under, on the other side of the cross, under the new covenant. These are God's people, the faithful. They're being persecuted, and that's what Revelation is all about, the persecution of God's people. But verse 14 says that God makes provisions for his people. That's what that language means. The idea of them flying into the wilderness so that the woman could be nourished for a time and a time and a half a time. That's just the idea of, yes, they're being persecuted, but God's still looking out for his people. He hasn't abandoned his people. Even though his scheme of redemption has been executed successfully, he's still watching out for his people. He's making provisions for his people, even during a time of persecution. Isn't that what we saw back in Revelation 7 with the marking and the sealing? That's just God letting his people know, I know who you are. And I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be with you. Even if you have to die for my cause, I'm going to bring you into, into the safety and the security of salvation. And then in verse 15, so God's making provisions for his people, verse 14. But the serpent continues to persecute God's people. He won't stop. This is the idea of water coming out of his, of his mouth, a river out of his mouth. You know, it's interesting how often in the Old Testament, the idea of of a river and a flood even, more so a flood, is, the, is a reference or symbolic for ungodly men. I mean, think about Noah's story. Who was outside in the flood? The ungodly men were. But the people of God were inside the ark. 
And so Satan will continue to use ungodly men and wickedness to try to persecute God's people. That's what he's doing in Rome. That's what we're going to see as we keep moving on in Revelation, how he's going to use the political aspect of the empire. He's going to use the false religion of the empire. He's going to use the immorality, the harlot of the empire to try to stomp out the church. So he continues to persecute the church like a flood, trying to sweep it away with a flood of ungodliness. But verse 16 says that God continues to look after his people. God continues to providentially care for his people. Again, the earth helped the woman. So God is going to providentially, in some way, through natural means, going to look out for his people. He's looking out for the woman, the faithful. And, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river. So God is going to alleviate his people in some way during this time. The dragon won't be able to defeat the Lord's people, the woman. But verse 17 is a frightening verse. Because it says even though God is using his providence to protect his people while they're being persecuted, the dragon won't give up. He won't give up. He's enraged with the woman. That, that is something, I like to just mess my Bible up, just type, like write all over it and stuff. That's why a lot of my Bibles don't last very long. But if you like to write in your Bible like I do, I would highlight that word enraged. Satan hates us. Do we understand that? He hates us. He gets angry when he sees how much God loves us and when he sees how much God provides for us. He, that angers him. He hates that. He hated seeing God provide for his people. And so what does he do? Verse 17, he continues to make war with them. But not just them, the rest of what? Who is that? That's anybody else who obeys the gospel. Evangelism, sure. That's us even. Is Satan at war with us right now? Oh, he's at war. We are the rest of her offspring. We are still tied. It's like it goes back to the sermon this morning. The universal church, that's all of God's people. So it's the God's people in the first century, God's people in the 21st century. And Satan goes to war with all of us. That's the idea. Brother Lance, go. you had a comment, sir. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It continues on. And it always will continue on. Go ahead, Don. Yes, sir. This, this word children, it doesn't show in the English, but it's the word seed. This is the woman's seed. Yes. That's exactly right. So do y'all see that how Satan won't give up and he'll continue, he continues to persecute God's people even today? And continues to try to use this wicked world to try to stomp out the church. Can I give you two points of application real quick, then I'm going to let you go. I got one minute here. Two points of application. The first thing I want you to take home with you from this is the devil is still busy. He's still busy. I think that's the point of verse 17. He's still busy. He will not stop until God finally does away with him in the lake of fire. He will continue to fight and fight and fight. He is very persistent. He won't give up, even though he loses over and over again. He just keeps coming after God's people. And often, he's successful, isn't he? Let's just not think he's some big loser here. How often in the church, even, have we seen him win disciples back? Don't we see it? Has that happened here before? Has it happened recently here before? Of course it has. 
It happens all the time, but it doesn't just happen here. It happens in every church. Every church loses people to Satan. I just want to make sure I'm not one of them, and I don't want you to be one of them. And then lastly, I want to encourage you with this. Even though Satan is, is still busy, God continues to help his people. And that, that's something else from that. God is always helping his people. He's used through providence and other spiritual means, stuff we can't see going on behind the curtain. God is always watching out for us. Sometimes we don't realize what's going on, and we don't realize until 15 years later when we look back on something. But God is always watching out for us, and he always will watch out for us. Don't get too discouraged by all this stuff you've seen going on in the world today. It's going to be okay. Keep your head up. You're a child of God. You're a follower of Jesus. If Jesus will take care of his people when an empire is trying to destroy them, don't you think he'll take care of us in 21st century America? Of course he will. So keep your head up. It's going to be okay. You're on the right side. You're with Jesus. Let's stop right there. We got done with Revelation 12. We'll do, we'll do Revelation 13, Lord willing, next Sunday, okay? Thank you.